It's Maria. Welcome to First Up. It is Ratu. That's Tuesday, the 19th of July. Kwanathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, inflation hits a 32 year high. We're going to ask Nationals Nicola Willis how her party would bring down the cost of living if they can. Then we're going to check that with an economist, Shamobil Yakub. He's uh, joining us to crunch the numbers. Now, while inflation reaches record highs, there's a deadly heatwave in Europe. We talk to our correspondent in London. We'll bring you the latest on our own wild weather, too, that is lashing the South Island. Stay with us, it's a big weather day today. Plus, the Māori baker revitalising traditional rewana bread with a recipe that goes back generations. It's been around for a long time. It's part of our um, culture. That's why I'm here, to carry that on and make it accessible. We welcome to First Up, I'm Nathan Rarere. Let's begin in Europe, uh, where firefighters continue to battle wildfires caused by what authorities are describing as a heat apocalypse. We've gone past wave, we're at that now. 24,000 people have fled the fires in France, and the deaths of more than 1,000 people have been attributed to the heat in Spain and Portugal. In a few moments, we'll cross to London for the latest from the UK, but first here's BBC's Bethany Bell, and she's got this report from Spain. Wildfires continue to rage in France after days of intense heat. Emergency workers battled the flames. It's difficult and dangerous work. The French government is sending another 200 firefighters to the region. In northwestern Spain, a fireman died in action last night. Fires are causing widespread damage in Catalonia and several other parts of the country. In the hills around Malaga, a major tourist area, there's relief. Last night, a fire that had been blazing since Friday was finally brought under control. The fire swept down this hillside and you can see the destruction that's been left behind. There's still a strong smell of burnt wood in the air and ash is flying around. The authorities have managed to control the fires that were burning in this region near Mijas, just outside of Malaga. And the people who were evacuated from their homes have now been able to return. Yesterday, we met Yvonne and her daughter Charlotte just after they got back to their holiday villa. We were uh, by the pool for most of the day and the fire looked as though it was very much under control with not a lot of smoke at all. And then later in the afternoon, the, the smoke just became black smoke very quickly. A huge black ball of fire went up and the mountain just burst into flames with the, the flames kind of running down the mountain towards us very, very quickly. It went from a an in-control situation to a very much out-of-control situation in a really short space of time. With bone-dry conditions in the countryside, the authorities remain on a high alert. That's the news from the European mainland. For more on the heatwave in the UK, I'm joined by our correspondent in London. It's Ali J. Kia ora, Ali. Nathan, and you're right, it is absolutely boiling here. I'll bet. My, my friend Paul Williams, the rugby journalist in Wales, just tweeted before, it's hot, I'm ripping through iced lollies like a messed up Pac-Man. Is that, um, is that how you're seeing things in London as well? Just, just get, how hot is it? 
Well, I mean, Wales, he's right, Wales has recorded its hottest temperature ever. It's over 37 degrees in Wales. And already in parts of uh, parts of the UK, it's the hottest day of the year. The Met Office is saying it was 38 degrees uh, in Suffolk at 4pm. So just a couple of just a couple of hours ago. And it is, it's absolutely boiling. So I'm in um, southwest London. So earlier today, we had temperatures over 37 degrees, and it's still, it's not cooling down yet. So this is, I mean, there's a red extreme uh, heat alert level, um, which has been, which has been brought in, which is the first time it's ever been brought in in the UK. And this means there's a, a genuine um, risk to life. So this is covering parts of central, northern, eastern and southeastern England and the rest of the country that doesn't have that has an amphitheater at the moment that's not suffering from this heat. Ellie, can you just tell us, I mean, you know, the, the houses there aren't designed for this sort of heat. I mean, look, you know, we had some hot weather here, right, over, I think it was about January. When, remember there was that three or four days where it was hot when you were still here, Ellie. But it was nowhere near as, as hot as this here. So tell me, how does your normal English family try and cope? Are they all around the heat pump? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Not a lot of houses here do have heat pumps. And the feeling is that the infrastructure isn't really set up to cope with this kind of heat. So a lot of the stuff, I mean, all the newspapers this morning, um, the front pages were saying about the predicted temperatures and about um, how it's going to be hotter than the Sahara in parts of the UK today. But people, I mean, they showed over the weekend people out at the at the beaches. And it's not like this has come out of nowhere. We've had a week or so of these kind of hot and sunny days leading up to today. Um, So this on top of it, I was walking through Bushy Park yesterday, which is one of the big parks um, in the outskirts of London, and all the grass is dry and brown. In some places, patches of uh, the roads are melting. And I was in a shop this morning and the owner was showing me uh, this video of his friends who were frying eggs on the bonnet of a car. Like it's not, I mean, it's not usual for here. They're also saying that just in the last hour, Luton Airport has had to shut temporarily because part of the um, airport, part of the runway has um, melted and all of the flights from there are being diverted to Gatwick. And that as well is on top of um, the news we were talking about in the past couple of weeks, all these delays and cancellations. So it's really, I mean, it is really tough. They have put this amber uh, alert and this red alert out and people are being told basically to stay inside, to keep hydrated, uh, to try and not travel if you don't have to. So all of the rail companies are saying um, they'll be running these these shortened services because there's this worry that uh, the railways, the rail tracks are going to melt, are going to bend in this heat. And as you said, I mean, there's a genuine worry that it's not set up. I mean, the UK isn't ready to deal with these kind of temperatures. And it's quite interesting. I mean, at the moment, the Farnborough Air Show is on and this this hasn't been on for about four years. And this is airlines from across the world who have come here. They've flown here to showcase these new planes and having this big meeting. And it's a bit kind of out of kilter looking at these, these heat maps of the UK and also looking at these people coming out, as you were saying, um, the head of the UN as well, saying this is a climate apocalypse and there's this big air show that's also happening at the same time. (laughs) Irony. Hey, uh, give me a minute on um, this Tory leadership race, because I I saw, what is it, a debate so bad that Labour won it? 
Well, I mean, that must be the one they were talking about last night. There have been two debates so far uh, between the remaining candidates. Five are left. Uh, Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch, Tom Tugendhat and Penny Mordaunt are the other ones who are still left in. Um, there's going to be another vote tonight and they'll take another, another person will be knocked out. But the problem is at the moment, they're kind of, the reason they've said that is because the focus is on lots of personal attacks on candidates. So in these debates and even in the media kind of surrounding it, um, people are criticising the fact that they seem to be really, really taking digs at one another, really going, why would, why did you stay in this government? Or Rishi Sunak in the in the debate last night asked Liz Truss, um, you used to be a Liberal Democrat, you're also a Remainer. Which of those two do you regret more? It's these very kind of pointed comments and questions, not just in the debates, but outside of them, um, outside side of them too as well. And so now they're saying uh, the debate that was meant to be tomorrow night has now been cancelled. Um, Sky News are saying it's because um, Rishi Sunak and Liv Liz Truss have said that they won't attend. So I think they weren't they they weren't a hundred percent in anyway. But now there's this speculation that it's because uh, the whole thing really isn't a good look at the moment. No, it's not. Ellie, thank you very much. Stay inside, stay cool, stay hydrated. Ellie J joining us there from London. 13 and a half past five if you're listening live to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. And just like we're experiencing in New Zealand, COVID uh, running pretty rampant through the population of Japan. In fact, they've just recorded their highest number of daily cases since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. I discussed those numbers with our correspondent in Tokyo, Chris Gilbert. Uh, but first, Chris, it started by telling me the latest developments on former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's assassination earlier this month. Shinzo Abe has had his funeral, um, you know, last Tuesday, and it was a very private affair at a very, uh, you know, very famous and well-known temple called Zozoji in the middle of Tokyo. And uh, it was only for, you know, I guess, very close friends and, uh, you know, family members and, and cabinet members as well. <laughs> um, but that, that was his private funeral. But it has been announced in the last week, uh, Prime Minister Kishida has said that uh, Shinzo Abe is also going to have a state funeral, oh. which is very rare. And they're going to do it in the fall or autumn, excuse me, uh, you know, Japan time. So there'll be a couple of months from now, New Zealand spring. Kishida, the current prime minister, has said that holding a state funeral for him will be an expression of our intention to resolutely protect our democracy and never bend to violence. Uh, in terms of the gunman, uh, we've found out recently that apparently in the months and weeks leading up to the event that he had messaged another person that he he found on the internet about the Unification Church outlining his intention to go through with the act. The Unification Church, uh, of course, is what's behind the gunman's motive. Mm. Um, his mother apparently gave a large amount of money, around $700,000 to the church and bankrupted the family, and so the guy hated the church, thought Abe was part of the Unification Church, found another guy who thought that he also hated the Unification Church, uh, messaged this guy and said, hey, I, I think I might like to shoot the former prime minister. It does come out in the last week as well as the, uh, the amount of money, so that's both of those things are going to uh, you know, help the prosecution's case against him. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. It's it gets um. What's we gets more and more interesting each week. More more I hear about it. Yeah. You know, COVID numbers here. Uh, we're in the middle of winter. We've got a bit of flu around. People have had colds for the first time in years. But COVID numbers have gone up. What's happening over where you are? 
You know, New Zealand and uh, Japan are, are quite similar, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways. And I think we're similar in uh, this way as well. Uh, summer's cancelled again over here, pretty much. You know, third year in a row. We've just had a record national tally of 110,000 cases across the country. Wow. Um, the previous, yeah, 110. The, the previous was 103,000 back in February 3rd. That's when we had a huge Omicron wave when everybody got it. I got it. You know, my dog got it, whatever. Everyone got it. And now everyone's getting it again as the new Omicron variant. Uh, the medical system here, however, is not under that much pressure yet. So there is no state of emergency. Keisha just said things are going to run pretty much as normal. But there is no peak inside. The numbers are up every week. Uh, there are serious concerns about future strains on the health system. At the moment, we have about as many deaths per day as New Zealand, about 20. We have 114 critical cases in Tokyo. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's happening all over again. Now, I need I you to explain to me something with a wonderful name, but then also something which is a swindle. Tell me, what is, and I hope I'm saying this right, is it romance car? It is Romance Car. Uh, Romance Car is a very special train. It runs from uh, Tokyo to Hakone, which is like a hot spring spa and, you know, like volcanic resort near Mount Fuji. And it's called Romance Car because it's so romantic. You know, this is Japan. Why not call it Romance Car? But it's a bit expensive and you get beautiful views the whole way. It's got an observation deck. But one guy, a 48-year-old dude from Saitama, was not so happy with the experience he had on the romance car. Apparently, he got very bad service. Apparently, some kids were very loud and drunk, and the, assi- uh, the assistant did not come along and reprimand them properly. And so, between the months of March and November last year, he made 9,313 reservations on the romance car he did not keep. So, <laughs> the way this works is on the romance car you can make a reservation without paying um and they will keep it for you up till 15 minutes before the train and if you haven't paid then they just free it up for somebody else so to annoy as many people as possible he made over nine thousand. that's more than 44 reservations every day between march and November 2021, he took his time to do to, 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 for just to create the opportunity cost for both the Odaku railway system and for the customers as well who want to catch the romance car. Uh, we're talking the, the sum total at least is about $250,000 of, I guess, of, of, of opportunity cost ticket sales that did not happen. And he has been arrested and uh, Odaku is probably going to press charges against him for damages. And, uh, you know, what a jerk. That's all I have to say about that. What a jerk. <laughs> It's 18 and a half past five. I'm Nathan Rarity. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National. So coming up, South Island, you're getting smashed by the weather. Uh, we're going to speak to an Ashburton local about that. Also, have a listen to the weather report coming because it's a biggie. Also, I'll tell you what the first movie ever shown on a plane was. A few weeks back, we heard from Juana Ellis from the local democracy reporting program about a Maori baker whose rewana bread has been recognised as culturally significant by the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organisation. Now, the First Up crew loves carbs. We love them. Absolutely love them. Actually, not only that too, but the story uh, behind George Jackson's famous and Whanganui bread is pretty special too. We love the special stories, so we caught up with the man himself. Basically, the bread itself in my family has been around for for ages. Um, my grandmother made it um, when we were kids, um, and I just adapted the the bread and carried on baking it. 
<laughs> and was it the way where uh, was it something that fascinated you, or was it the classic? You were running around in the in the house, and then hey, get a tea towel, and you're in there with that tea towel over your shoulder, and you're helping. Like, like, how did it come about for you? Um, we just remember get, um, eating it as kids, um, and it was always around. And then I come like fast forward, you know, twenty years, and I found myself acquiring some bug and started baking it for my family. Nice, yeah. The, getting the bug, eh? That's the that that's the key part of this. So, is it true that it's is this was it your grandmother's bug that you're using here? Yes. Where did that come from? Um, that came from her mother, um, and was passed down through our family. It's amazing. So, mm. can you tell? I mean, obviously, the bug's yours, so that's good. So it can't be mm-hmm. uh, nicked there. But where people going? Well, what? Like, what is the difference here? How do we make Rewana bread? Uh, tell us that. How do you make it? Well, it starts with the bug. Um, so you've got the bug, um, and it's basically the same as making a bread. Um, but instead of putting yeast in, um, you add the the bug. It's your uh, yeast. It's a naturally fermented yeast made with potato water and flour and sugar. Yeah, I mean the potato water. I think is the one that always gets people there. But that's that's yeah. key, right? What is what does that that's add? To, cool. What does that add to it? The, the the potato water. The potato water it gives it this um, kind of uh, um, oh uh, well, it ferments, which gives the bread its flavour. The the fermenting process is the flavour and the rising agent for the bread. So it's the key one there that comes in. It's the key. You yeah. can't, um, yeah, it's not in a packet. You <laughs> kind of have to work for it. <laughs> so tell us about UNESCO's interest uh, in your Rewana. Okay, so UNESCO is, um, I never even really knew about it until Wanganui Partners approached me and they decided, or they had something come up from UNESCO, and they it was breeds of the cities. Um, so Wanganui decided to, and they knew about what I was doing, so they decided to put my name forward and um, and did a story on it. And yeah, um, now I'm in UNESCO's. Um, indigenous breeds of the world. Yes, and for yeah. and for listeners that don't know, the, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization uh, uh, is is <laughs> this is part of this is great. You know, there was um, during uh, COVID lockdown, there was a bit yeah. there where Facebook was full of people going, "Look at me, I'm making sourdough, or I'm having a go at this." Do you think yeah. one could could take off like sour, you know, like sourdough uh, did? Oh, of course. It's it's been around for a long time. It's part of our um, culture, and that's still alive. But I found that it was um, sort of whittling away, people getting too busy, um, older generations dying, um, and the new generation not carrying on the the traditions. So um, that's why I'm here, to carry that on and make it accessible for um, people that can't get it or have forgotten about it. Um, Yeah. So there might be people listening going, well, this sounds great, but I haven't got a bug and, and I, I don't have a whanau bug around or something. Can you can you start your own one? Like, how do, how do you do it? Can. Oh, what do we you, do? You can you can start your own one. 
Um, all you do is you boil potato waters, potato water, potato, um, like you would make mashed potato. You get rid of the potato and you add the potato water when it's cooled, obviously, and you mix that with flour and sugar. And you keep repeating that um, over many weeks and it will start fermenting and you'll have a natural yeast. Perfect. That's great. Mm. Yeah, how do, you, how do you like to eat it? Me? My thing is I just like Pam's plum jam mm. um, toasted with butter. And if you like the sound of that and you find yourself in the area, make sure you pop into George Jackson's Rewana Bread at 131 Duncan Street in Whanganui East. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life. We call the 19th of July. It looked like there wasn't much, but there's many happening, so I shall be quick. Born on this day in 1894 is Percy Spencer. Who's Percy Spencer? Well, Percy Spencer invented the microwave in 1946. Not very good at names, though. Called it the Radar Range. And they went, cool, Percy. I'm going to call it a microwave, and that worked a lot better. It's the 35th birthday of former UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones. Quite a talented sports family, that family. John Jones, the former champion of the world there in his chosen sport, and his two brothers both play in the NFL. It's the 46th birthday today of Benedict Cumberbatch. You can say Binkledonk Jonkadach, and people know exactly who you're talking about. The 51st birthday today of Vitaly Klitschko. You know, remember him? Mayor of Kiev since uh, 2014. He's got a PhD in physical sciences and the former world heavyweight uh, title holder (laughs) there as well. I think he lost two fights out of 45. He's not bad. Also the birthday today of Brian May, guitarist for Queen. Uh, Remember he earned his PhD in astrophysics in 2007 and was the Chancellor of Liverpool John Moores University from 2008 through to 2013. Let's go to the Arts and Culture Desk. Hello, Arts and Culture Desk here. Um, On this day in 1848, Amelia Jenks Bloomer wore something and they were like, what is that? She introduced bloomers by wearing a pair to the first women's rights convention in New York. In 1961, on this day, TWA showed the first in-flight movie. It's called By Love Possessed. I looked it up on IMDb. Really bad score, 5.5 out of 10 for that one. In 2007, the first episode of Mad Men aired 28 years ago. Kiss from a Rose came out by Seal from the Batman soundtrack and it's International Retainer Day today, uh, challenging you to make a commitment to your beautiful smile uh, on International Retainer Day, celebrate wearing your retainer and making it a healthy oral care habit to protect the smile you invested in. There we go, it's the 19th of July. It's business, it's business time. That's what you're trying to say, you're trying to say, let's get down to business, it's business time. It's business, it's business time. And with us from the business desk is the uh, leader of the business team. It's Giles Beckford. Kia ora, sir. How are you? More energy to you next, and I'm in the pink. Oh, thank cool. you. Well, wonderful. So it's really good on you. <laughs> hey, um, tell me about this, the um, uh, Sky TV chasing the World Cup rugby rights, because it was on Spark, and I think the All Blacks lost last time was a little bit, you know, for tree falls in a forest, if you know what I mean. No disrespect exactly. too much to Spark, but yes. Yep. Uh, well, there's, you know, millions and millions of dollars at stake uh, in this one, and of course it was a big blow to Sky's uh, not just its business uh, and its revenue, but also its pride when it lost the uh, last Rugby World Cup to Spark. So uh, 
Yeah, this is a company, I have to say, this is a company I'm finding in increasingly uh, difficult to deal with. You know, you price things out of them like hen's teeth, mm. uh, when in fact, you know, they need to be, I think, uh, a lot more open. But anyway, there was the speculation uh, that Sky had got the rights to the World Rugby uh, Cup, uh, or the next one, um, uh, that they've been they've been flushed out of the woodwork they've had to say we're in advanced discussions with world rugby about securing the uh, rugby world cup rights uh, it, the talk is that they were opposing spark and uh, warner discovery uh, which is basically news hub tv3 Uh, And that would have been their free-to-air outlet for Spark. Spark, of course, being just streaming. Uh, So we'll wait and see on this one. Clearly Sky and Spark, I mean, they've been going head-to-head on sports rights now for the past uh, several years. Um, They've each had a winner piece, shall we say. Um, But probably Sky's just starting to get back some of the ascendancy, having captured the... uh, English football, uh, which starts again uh, quite soon. Um, so I think, you know, we'll see. Sports is an important part for Sky. They really need uh, that content uh, if they're to distinguish themselves. Uh, it's not so, you have to say, it's not so important for Spark, who essentially, um, you know, they're a telco. Mm-hmm. And they're doing mobile phones and broadband and IT and all the other, you know, cloud computing. So, yeah. It's a sort of a, a side business for them, but it's uh, bread and butter for Sky. So we'll wait and see on that one. No doubt we'll have to wait until Sky once again gets embarrassed or gets caught out and it finally admits to something. Yeah. Just, have you got anything? Um, tell me about this inflation interest rates you got there. Oh, inflation interest rates. I know not many people are following it, uh, really, but look, the issue is uh, after yesterday's uh, stonking inflation number, the issue now becomes how much does the Reserve Bank uh, want to ping us in the cash rate and the next uh, review of the cash rate is in about four weeks uh, it's a full monetary policy statement that means that they have all the uh, gizmos all the explanations all the economic forecasts there's a growing school of thought uh, I mean people were uh, they'd already inked in that there would be a 50 basis point rise uh, but they're now saying perhaps 75 uh, and that's starting to get serious that's like um, basically that's taking the big sledgehammer to go chase the inflation bogey so um, not done and dusted we'll wait and see on that one but I suspect uh, you know, the Reserve Bank may be more inclined certainly financial markets are more inclined towards 75 basis point interest rate rise uh, in a month and of course People saying, how high does it go by the end of the year? People had been suggesting the cash rate would sit around 3.5%. Some are now saying 4%. So all I can say is uh, we'll feel the pain in our pockets and in our mortgages. All right. Thank you. Uh, Giles Beckford with us. You can hear more from the business team uh, on Morning Report at 10 to 7. Money market time now. New Zealand dollar is out there and it's shopping and it's buying things. 61.7 US cents, 90.24 Australian cents, 60.71 Euro cents, 51.49 British pence, 4.16 yuan, 85.23 Japanese yen, 35.92 Russian rubles and 18.22 Ukrainian 
Hrivenia. I hope I got that one right. Well, extreme weather is sweeping through parts of the South Island, bringing with it heavy rain, severe gales too, up to 150 k's. Uh, that it's blowing. Um, there are severe weather warnings in place for several regions, including Canterbury, south of Otera, and the headwaters of Otago lakes and rivers. Uh, to give us an update on the latest in his part of uh, Ashburton is uh, Richard Bryden. Uh, g'day, Richard. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yourself? I'm, pre- I'm very good, but I, I'm not experiencing the weather like you are. Tell us, what, what's it looking like where you are? Uh, I'm outside right now, uh, just on my tree line that's been devastated, and uh, it's uh, calm, there's a couple of drops of rain, uh, no wind, I think she's come around from the southeast now. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, she's very calm at the moment, uh, must have stopped about 2 o'clock this morning, I think, right. the heavy winds. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear that the winds have stopped. Now, you said your tree line um, has been slightly rearranged by the weather, what's it done to it? Uh, yeah, well, I've got a uh, well, 100-metre line of... Uh, 10 to 12 metre macrocarpa trees and uh, there's probably 45 here and I've lost uh, at least 17 of them have uh, come down. Um, a group of uh, probably 10 of them and uh, three at each end as well. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what, does the ground just get so soaked? But was, is it that that's done it, that's tipped them over? I mean, those are giant trees. Yeah, they are giant trees. Uh, yeah, and they're, they're rooted right up. The, the whole roots are just tipped over, so there's holes in the ground. Um, you know, there's uh, six-foot holes in the ground where the roots were, and um, to be honest, uh, the roots are very dry. So um, we have had a fair bit of rain here, but um, they survived the 2013 uh, uh, winds we had uh, way mm. back then. And uh, But these ones uh, come through. I mean, we had gusts yesterday of up to 160 k's an hour. Wow. So, Richard, I mean, it's not like you can just pop down to Mitre 10 Mega and get a fully grown macrocarpa to, to put back in. Um, how are you going to try and cope with that? Uh, it would be a call to the insurance company, and I suppose we're going to have to get the local contractors around here with their big uh, loggers, and um, these are going to have to be removed professionally. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, these are, these, are 35, these are 35 years old trees. So that, that's the trees. How, how about your stock? How did they cope with it? Uh, the stock are okay. They, they actually, uh, luckily, they fell over into the neighbour's property. Uh, so, um, yeah, me and him have got a bit of a few discussions to have. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> firewood fundraiser. There we go. That's <laughs> there. right. Yeah. So, so look, as um, from what you've experienced uh, here recently, also I'm just wondering too about you know your, your maybe your house or your outbuildings, um, you know that kind of stuff. Everything else managed to hold okay for you. A uh, couple of uh, uh, sheep pens, uh, they've, they've been destroyed. Um, uh, there's uh, wrought iron scattered through the uh, trees. And, um, and we went for a drive yesterday afternoon, or just after I discovered these trees were down. And uh, there's 15-metre there's high uh, bluegum trees that have been scattered all over the roads around town as well. There's roads closed just locally within uh, within a kilometre of my place yesterday. Um yeah, and these are these are big, fully established uh, blue gum trees as well. So, wow. and they were like fifteen to twenty meters high. Unbelievable! It's unbelievable, Richard. Well, I mean, it, look, it, it's great that um, you know that, that you're okay. Um, that safety's fine there as well. Um, yep. what, what are you expecting? Are you expecting any more weather blowing through for you, or can can you get started on trying to figure this all out? Uh, no, as I say, it's um, it's calm now. It's good. coming from it's coming from the south, so uh, we're all good now. There's no northwest winds, no. Uh, that's all calmed down, so we're just going to have to get into it and um, 
uh, put some fuel in the chainsaw and uh, let's go and get some wood for next year. Away you go. Well, hey, Richard, thanks for uh, being up to have a chat with us. Sorry you're having to go through all this. What a terrible thing to have to sort out. But there is uh, from Ashburton, Richard Brighton has joined us here on uh, First Up. And we are racing towards 6 o'clock. Nathan Rarity here. So if you're thinking, man, it's just not enough chat about inflation nowadays, well, we've got a treat for you. Uh, first, uh, we've got Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis telling us how her party would tackle inflation. And then we're going to hear from uh, leading economist Shamabil Yaakob, uh, who's, uh, and I'm going to ask if her solutions will work to drive down the cost of living, just also about, you know, the cost of living itself. <laughs> The professionals of Morning Reporter up after six. Let's have a uh, quick preview of the flagship news programme. It's Corin Dan who's here. Kia ora Corin, how are you? After Mario, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we will obviously zero in on the cost of living and inflation. Grant Robertson will be yeah. in this morning to answer some questions about that. Yeah. What, if anything, can the government do? What responsibility should it bear? Opposition parties certainly applying the blowtorch over that uh, pretty alarming figure uh, yesterday. We can only hope that it is the peak. Uh, we will also uh, cross to the UK. A uh, couple of things going on there. Obviously, the UK leadership uh, run is on and the uh, Tory party, but also the heat wave, the uh, heat apocalypse, as they're calling it in France. Uh, so yeah. we'll definitely touch base there. They're going to hit 40, I think it is, uh, tomorrow. So, yeah, there's a little bit to get, get across this morning. There is indeed. Oh, well, we'll hang in for it. There we go. At uh, 6 o'clock, uh, Corinne, Dan and Susie up with you for Morning Report. Uh, just some feedback that has come in uh, this morning on 2101. Thank you very much, too, for sending it in. It's always good when you do. Uh, Anonymous didn't spark mess up the Rugby World Cup so badly they had to play it for free. Um, I think there might have been some games they did. Pete says, hey, Nathan, when do we get ACT on to call for more rights for gun owners? Go on, Auckland is their city too. Okay, that's Pete. Nolene says, morning to Nathan. I love sourdough bread. I've experimented in different bugs to decide which flavour suited me. My potato bug lasted 25 years until I retired. Never bought bread for 50 years since bakers went on strike in the 60s. Oh, there you are, Nolene. Thank you very much. Uh, Another one here. Too many people believe the COVID deaths are from other things and not COVID. COVID's just associated Maybe the media should publish the comorbidities so we know what relatives to wear masks around. It would be interesting to know how many each day die just from COVID. Uh, thank you very much for that 2101. Well, uh, let's get some inflation happening here. Uh, look, um, some experts are suggesting the prices of fuel, food and housing may continue to rise despite hitting the highest levels in three decades. So latest figures show the soaring cost of living has pushed inflation to 7.3%, a rate much higher than economists had been forecasting. Then this means that the Reserve Bank is likely to continue with aggressive rate hikes. I discussed this with Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis and began by asking what her party would actually do to curb the soaring cost of living. The first thing we have to acknowledge is that there are a number of factors at play. Some of this is international. I acknowledge that. But some of this is about our domestic economy coming up against some real constraints. And we know that because they break the figures down and they break it into non-tradable domestic inflation. And that's also at record highs at 6.3%. So what the government needs to do is address the drivers in the local economy that they have some control over. So right now, Uh, we would be looking at the immigration settings. We know that there are really severe work shortages and that's stopping businesses from being able to meet their supplies. 
So we need to fix those immigration settings. We'd also be looking to take some costs off business wherever possible and stop adding them so that they don't keep passing those on. And we've consistently said you've got to be careful about how much government spending you do because if you're doing too much, you're just adding more demand into an already overheating economy. And Treasury have backed us up on that pretty recently. They uh, have allowed me to release a report they gave the minister in March which showed that if he was to increase spending beyond what he'd planned to, that that would put more pressure on inflation and interest rates. And unfortunately, he went ahead and did a record spend up. And and National doesn't think that was responsible, given the inflation challenge we're facing as a country. Yeah, I mean, I know that you say that the the Crown expenditure, I know you say, I mean, because I know know that you quite like your tax cuts for for it, and the tax cuts would would do, they'll have less impact on inflation than Crown expenditure, which is something Mm. that that some economists have disagree with. So can you tell us, how does it do that? Like, because we've got some economists that don't agree with that so but you've got advice the other way so how how does that help with inflation well a treasury advise in uh, the paper that i referred to earlier that over um, many years they've looked into this issue and their conclusion is that uh, tax cuts have less impact on inflation uh, than adding more government spending. And the reason for that is twofold. One, it's that not every dollar given in tax cuts gets spent. Some of it gets saved or invested. And the other part of it is that you have to compare the value of the spending that's going on. And I think that when you look at Kiwis today, what's the big issue they're facing? It's paying the bills, it's paying for groceries. That's what tax cuts would help with. Whereas a lot of the spending that the government's doing is getting pretty wasteful. You know, office fit-outs for government departments, more communication staff, PR spending, that stuff isn't nearly as productive as New Zealanders being able to pay their own bills. Okay, but how does the reduction in government spending bring down food costs? Well, uh, when it comes to food costs, you've got to look at what's driving the cost of more food. Mm. And partly, that is the costs across the supply chain. If you talk to people growing fruit or vegetables, they'll tell you when you can't get workers, that's a big problem. So that's something government policy can help with uh, through its immigration settings and through helping more people off welfare and to work. When it comes to government spending, overall what we're seeing with inflation is a gap between supply and demand. Demand is way bigger than the economy's ability to cope with that, and so we see higher prices. Government spending contributes to that demand. It adds more heat into the economy. So by taking that away, we take pressure off all prices, including food. Right. Bringing in more immigrants, how will that help house prices, though? Because it seems that they're finally dropping a little, which some people who thought that houses were just disappearing off, you know, that only the James Webb telescope could see the price of, they were, you know, they were quite hopeful with that. If we bring in more people from overseas, doesn't that drive rents up? Doesn't that drive house prices up with supply and demand like you've just mentioned? Well, can I just first say on rents, what the data today showed was the biggest increase in annual annual increase in rents ever on record. Those have gone up, according to these numbers, by more than 4%. And we know that that translates to around 40 or $50 a week for a typical renter. So that's a real problem and something that National thinks the government needs to take seriously and that they should stop adding costs to rent. Mm. But your question is about, well, what can we be doing to deal with those other inflationary costs? And 
Nationals' view is that part of what's driving that construction inflation is, again, it's those labour shortages. So if you don't have workers to build the houses uh, or you don't have an electrician to put in the wires or a plumber to put in the pipes, you end up with large delays, inflation and the construction costs. So we think bringing in some workers to assist with that would help. And we're also realistic about the fact that right now a lot of Kiwis are leaving the country, uh, which is leaving big gaps in the workforce, and we need to fill that in immigration as a way we can do that. Yeah, Let, let's just talk about because I know you're very keen on the tax cuts, and we've spoken about, spoken about that a lot, and that's that's uniform, you know, across the National Party. So cutting taxes, though, that means you've got less in the coffers, right, to address you know some pretty massive social issues that we face here, like the population is ageing, the health, the health system's under pretty extreme pressure and, and that as well. I mean, your, your response to that, if we take them out, like, what are we, where does this money come from to help cover those? Well, I think deeply about those social issues too, Nathan, and I think it's absolutely the imperative for government to be putting in policies that address those. Mm. But let's look at what's actually happening right now, which is that we've got more children being raised in benefit-dependent households uh, than when Labor came to power. That's not helping with intergenerational poverty. Let's look at mental health, an area that was uh, marked out for improvement. Yes, a lot more funding got put in, but what we've also seen is reports saying it was so uncoordinated uh, and, and badly managed that we haven't seen any additional specialist services delivered. Let's look at housing, where, uh, again, the government put $2 billion into Kiwi Build, but the houses weren't built. My point with all of these things is effective government policy is about more than how much money you spend. It's actually about the target set, the accountability you have, and the plans that you put in action, and that's what National is really focused on. Um, it's funny, I mean, you, you touched on it before too. I mean, look, UK inflation, 9%, that's the highest in 40 years. The US, 86 highest in 41 Argentina, I mean, it's, you know, 60% there, which is, you know, does put our 7.3% in, in perspective, <laughs> yes. doesn't it? But it also shows how bad things can get. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're grateful not to be in Argentina. Yeah. But let's look closer to home, Nathan. Australia, yeah. 5.1 in their latest figures. Now, that's also a high number, but it's a full 2.2 lower than New Zealand. And I think it is the closest comparison because when you look at what's happening in Europe, certainly they've been more affected by the energy price spikes out of Europe because they're more dependent on gas for their electricity uh, and their manufacturing than we are. So Australia is a fair comparison, and it seems to me that when you look at those numbers and we're so much worse, it tells you something's going wrong in our domestic economy. This can't all be blamed on offshore factors. And I'd also say this. Governments can't control everything. I'm not asking Labor to control the price of oil, but they have a solemn responsibility to control what they can control. And I think they should be pulling every lever possible to do their bit on inflation right now. We're heading towards uh, six o'clock uh, for a reaction on that interview with Nicola Willis. And a lot more, actually, uh, we have economist and author Shamobil Jakob, who's on the line. And kia ora, Shamobil, how are you? Kia ora, I'm very well. So, um, first off, inflation, how did we get here? How did we get here? Well, we've had COVID, and after COVID, we had a war. Those two things really increased prices a hell of a lot. So, you know, we're all feeling it at the moment uh, when you go to the supermarket, when you go to the petrol station. Those are the two biggest increases that we have seen in the last year. OK, now this is definitely, this, I mean, this, this is your wheelhouse. This is what you do. Is there anything that we as a nation can do to fix this? 
Well, not those things, right? Because the increase in food and fuel costs, that's very global. That's because there's a war on, because there's all these issues with global supply chains that are taking place. So we can't stop that. But it's those other prices that are also increasing. So if, to give you a bit of a flavor, a third of the prices are coming from global factors, a third of it's coming from housing, a third of it's coming from domestic factors. So that gives you a bit of a feel for where we can act, which is really around a fairly small part. And within that small part, a big part of this has been absolutely gangbusters cost of construction because we're building at a record rate. And we're kind of in this awkward situation, right? We just had COVID, borders were closed, no workers were coming in, materials prices had gone through the roof. I don't want to hear about Jib anymore. And <laughs> so, you know, we've had all these issues that have come together to create this perfect storm. And that's why we're seeing central banks around the world increasing interest rates because it's an inflation surge that's taking place around the world. So um, when I was just speaking with Nicola Willis there before, she told us that allowing in more immigrants would help and that the government should be doing more to tackle the domestic drivers of inflation, including you know limiting it, its own spending on things like what she say, office fit-outs and PR staff and that. Are these viable solutions? <laughs> Look, I mean, changing office fit-outs is not going to change the inflation rate for New Zealanders. Um, I suspect what she's referring to is more at the margin of, you know, the types of spending that's going on. I'm sure office fit has also happened at the national. The, if you look at the domestic inflation, that's really, really high. It's in things, things like the cost of construction, real estate services, professional services. Um, it's really hard to kind of point the finger and say it's because of government spending that those things are so expensive. Uh, but it will be, I think, more likely that those things are expensive because there are labor shortages, because immigration has been completely closed in New Zealand. But it opens a flip side, doesn't it, Nathan, that we are saying that immigration reduces wages. And if that is the case, do we really want that to happen? Hmm. I, you know, I've, I've thought too, um, you know, earlier on when we mentioned, I'm not going to mention the building material, but it, it's, it's, it's a little bit rock hard place, isn't it? Because one of the things was, hey, we, you know, houses are too expensive. So from what I understand, fourth form economics coming out here, I thought it was right, have more supply of houses that should bring the, the house prices down. Right, and there's a whole lot of kind of order builds that are going on. I know the four sec- sections next to me were turned into 25 houses. I've got those happening, and and it's a little bit weird, isn't it, Shamobil? Because now that is, I guess, the demand trying to you know bring other parts of the economy down price wise, and that that's what's caused a big backlog there. And that is, as you say, one of the drivers of our inflation going up. It is, and I think that's, it, this is why it's so difficult. So we don't have many uh, finessed tools to manage inflation. So we do want lots of house building, and in fact, we have record numbers of houses being built, not just Kaimura, but mainly by the private sector, at a record rate that we have never built this many houses ever before. But it also means that we are not tooled up to build that many houses, so prices are going up. And do we want to kill that off? Because actually we need more homes for people to live in. We heard Nicholas say that we've got a crisis in the housing market, which, of course, was part of the making of successive governments of failures, including the national parties. Um, and we have a record wait list for pub- public housing. So we've got some serious issues there. But the Reserve Bank is raising interest rates, which inevitably is going to slow the rate of construction. And that really does worry me that while we're trying to control inflation, we might also be killing off housing supply, which we desperately need.
Shamubil, as I, as I had looked in, in the OECD inflation numbers, I see that you know we're, we're still kind of down the bottom third. You know, everywhere around the world is doing this. So obviously we can't affect worldwide inflation. From what you know of our economy, how long can we weather this kind of storm worldwide as far as high inflation rates go? Well, it's that control versus impact. Uh, we have very low control, but it has very high impact. And the impact is highest for our lower-income households. Because when the cost of living for necessities goes up, so food, fuel, rent, there is very little left to spend on other things. So that means the real income, so the disposable incomes we have, is getting crunched. And that is why we have record low consumer confidence, record low business confidence, house sales are at recessionary lows, because people don't have money left over. And so, yes, we will weather it, and we'll weather it through a recession. Shamobil, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Shamobil Yakov there uh, joining us just to uh, talk about inflation and worldwide factors and also just having a bit of a look um, because I guess parties can present things. I'm not an economist, so uh, it's good to get an economist to uh, chase it up. Like I say, I did my best in Mrs. Allen's class. I remember my supply and demand curve. That's about where it stops for me. Morning Report is next with Kim and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you. Well, back in your ears, our poor boy, actually.